Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2, and I want to talk to you about the burden or being burdened with vision. Vision is one of my favorite subjects. And I know it scares people because a lot of people say, well, I'm just a normal person. I I have a, you know, nine to five job or I'm a stay at home mom or whatever we conclude in our mind that why would I need a vision? What what could I do with vision? And hopefully today we'll show you how important vision is for every one of us. Let's look at verse one. Actually, let's look at verse two. Let's look at verse two. Then the Lord answered. And said to me, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. How many of y'all have heard that verse before? If you've been in church any time at all, this is how many of y'all have not heard that verse before? I feel what I'm dealing with here. Okay. How many of y'all just, you're just not going to respond. You just, just going to make it really hard on me today. You're just like, you talked on your way here. Let's see how hard we can make it on Marcus. Let's just, let's just make him really work today. Seriously. How many of you just by a show of hands, how I'll be really descriptive by a show of hands have heard that verse before. Raise your hand. So most of us have heard that verse, and I'm not here to bring some new thing to it, but the the Bible actually says, Paul said this, I believe in Colossians, that it's safe for me to write this again. In other words, there are some things that we have to hear over and over and over because there's safety in hearing certain things again and again and again. It's not about redundance. It's not about repetition. It's not because God's trying to teach us, uh, treat us like, you know, we're children. It's because knowledge, uh, inspiration, it has a way of leaking over time. Uh, Truth or a conviction that was once strong, if you're not cautious, it's not like you arrive at a place and then you're stable and strong in that place. Vision leaks. And so we have to be reminded of the importance of things like having a vision for our life. Habakkuk chapter two, the burden, the Bible says it was the burden which the prophet Habakkuk had saw. So God said that a burden is something that you see. You can just look around the world that we live in and there's a sense when you look at the world, that something's off. You can look at scenarios and situations and just have a sense that something is off. And normally attached to that, you'll sense a burden. Now you're not going to be burdened for everything and for everyone and for every situation, but you should be able to look at the world and sense a drawing to the things that God has uniquely gifted you to make a difference in. And so he said, when you see this burden, when you sense this burden, write it down and make it plain. 
You don't have to complicate it. You don't need it framed. You don't need a, a, you know, some beautiful graphic to display it. You just need to make it plain. Write it on a napkin somewhere. Some, you know, the, they, they say that John Wooden, which in my opinion is the greatest basketball coach of all time, professional or collegiate, my opinion, won 10 national titles in 20 years uh, with UCLA. And John Wooden one time was asked what led to his greatness. And he pulled a little piece of paper out of his wallet. And this little piece of paper was worn thin, could barely even read the letters on it. And he gave for the first time, he showed this letter that his dad gave to him when he was 12, when he was in his 90s. And he said, every day of my life, I've pulled this piece of paper out and I have read it. And in some way or another, I've followed it. And it's what's led to my ability to be great in my private life. And then everybody else gets to see what happens when you have a vision for your private life. It has a way of making a difference in a way that everybody can see and experience. On that little letter, it said, his dad said, number one, be true to yourself. Number two, he said, make every day a masterpiece. Number three, he said, help others. Number four, his dad advised him to drink, drink deeply from good books. I like that. Number five, make friendship a fine art. If we just stop right there, just take make friendship a fine art. That's a good vision statement. Come on. I'm not so sure we need you to be a better Christian. Maybe we do. But we do need Christians to learn how to be better friends. Come on. To not give up on one another so quickly. I like that. Make friendship a fine art. Number six, build a shelter for a rainy day. I think that's a good piece of advice for somebody right now. Come on, be ready, be ready, be prepared. Number seven, pray every day for guidance and then give God thanks. Isn't that good? His dad wrote it down, just a little piece of paper, just in the wallet. It doesn't have to be, write it down and make it plain that he may run that reads it. It is yet for an appointed time. And in the end, it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. It will surely come. So number one, you got to write it down, write it. You're like, you're being too basic today. Well, do you have it written down? Then quit talking about how simple I am and write it down, <laughs> write it down. You're like, you're being awful strong with me right now. Write it down. Just write it down. Just stop. Stop. We're not going to argue no more. Write it down. <laughs> write something down. Write a word. It doesn't have to be great. Maybe that's it. Just gratefulness, thankfulness. Gra maybe just uh, my vision is to get a vision, <laughs> but write it down. Because if the enemy wants to destroy your life, all he has to do is distract you from the vision that God's given you. He does not have to do much. Just distract you and I or, or, or give us too much vision, too much vision where we're chasing all kinds of things, but we're not accomplishing anything. And so we're divided in our energy and our affection and our attention We're we're distracted. And then ultimately we're discouraged because nothing's happened. So write the vision down, make it plain, make it simple. 
And then number two, he went on to say that once you write it down, he said, it starts with a burden. God gives you a burden on your, in your heart. So this is, this was the point. Vision is a burden that you feel, see, and hear according to the prophet Habakkuk. So how, what is a vision? It's a burden that I feel, that I see, and that I hear. So God said, when you see it, when you feel it, and when you hear it, that's a vision and you write it down. You put it in concrete. He said tablets. You, you publish it. You, you make it solid. You make it sure. You do what you can do, but you write it down in a way that you can return to that thing over and over and over and continue to stir up my feeling my, my vision, what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing surrounding that thing that God has given me a burden for. Then he said, it's going to tarry. So you have to wait for it. So this is what you have to get ready for. God gives you a vision. It's going to tarry. The burden is not going to happen quickly. Fixing the burden, healing the burden is not going to happen quickly. It's going to take time. Sometimes you'll look down and everything's the opposite of the vision that you have. It looks the opposite. Nothing about it looks the way God told you it would look, the way God spoke to you it would look. In your heart, what you prayed for, it's not that. So God said, in that situation, you have to learn to wait, just to wait. You're like, well, the prophet said, well, how long in chapter one do I have to wait? How long do I have to look at the vision not taking shape? How long do I have to see the injustice? How long do I have to watch one nation oppress another nation? How, how long do we have to sit back and deal with all these things? And all God told him, he didn't give him a date, didn't give him a calendar, didn't give him a timeline. He just said, if I told you how great what I was going to do is you would not believe it. And this is simply the point. I don't know if it's going to take one year for the vision to begin to uh, manifest in your life. I don't know if it takes five years or 10 years. All I know is if God gives you a vision, the principle is it will come to pass. It will happen in your life. So as you're waiting, he said, next, number three, you run with it. <laughs> so how do you wait and run? How do I wait and run? So waiting is not inactive. I don't wait by just throwing up my hand and say, well, I guess if God wants the vision to happen, it will happen. While I'm waiting, I'm running with it. While I'm waiting, I'm being proactive. The word run in Greek means rushing as a footman, but also guarding what you're running with. So I'm rushing and I'm guarding. He said, so you can run and not drop it along the way in ministry, in business, in your family, in your marriage. In the beginning, it's always exciting. In the beginning, the vision is always something that you just cannot wait to get a hold of. But then there comes a time when you're having to 
Wait, and while you're waiting, you're having to keep working it, and you're having to keep running with it, and you're having to fight all that's trying to rip the vision out of your life and out of your hands, and so you have to guard it, and you have to realize it's sacred, and you have to be tenacious about it, and you have to, one translation said it like this, that once you get a vision, it's not just running with it, but it's running with panting desperation. So the description in this verse is someone that is desperately panting to get a hold of the vision that God has given them. So it's not just I run to reach my goal, but I'm running to reach my goal and I'm guarding the vision along the way. I'm not out on some dirt country road by myself. That's that's not how I'm running with the vision. I'm having to run through obstacles and opposition and enemies and things trying to rob and steal and take the vision out of my life. So I'm not just running after the goal. I'm also trying to outrun the things trying to steal the vision and the dream in my life. Sometimes I just got to outrun unforgiveness. I don't know how you do it. You just keep on running. Sometimes I have to outrun bitterness. Sometimes I have to outrun my doubts. Sometimes I just got to outrun all kind of things trying to take the vision, I got to run with a panting desperation. Don't drop it. Let no one steal the vision that God's given you and realize no one else will care for the vision like you will. One of the most important things I say over and over and over to the staff is no one else will want it more for you than you want it for you. Because sometimes they'll be discouraged because they've invested and they've poured a lot of energy into somebody. And they see all kinds of gifting and all kinds of potential. And and they're wondering, you know, why is it stalling? Or or, or why are they pulling back? Or or why are they uh, moving in another direction besides what they said was their clear vision? Not what they put in their word, but someone says, this is my vision. And then all of a sudden they start making decisions. It's the opposite of their vision. And I have to tell them, you can't care more about their vision than they do. So you have to match their care, which means if they don't care about it, you love them, you care, but I can't care more about it than you. That's when I end up suffering myself. I'm suffering because I don't realize why you don't want to do something with your life. Why, why do I want you to stick it out in your family more than you do? Why, why, why do I want you to get up and get in God's house more than you do? Why do I want to make sure you get your teenagers to youth camp more than you do? No, they got football camp. That's fine. But 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, that'll be a distant memory. And the seeds that can happen in a week like that will change their life. I hope it's okay that I say this. I I met with a family recently, just really recently, a good family, wonderful family in their church. Uh, Daughter served in this church. And... um, went to school, went to college, and met a kid that is a Muslim. And this mom and dad are broken because their daughter, 20, 21 years old, wants nothing to do with their family, really, you know. Um, 
because she's converted to Islam. And I've looked in the eyes of that mom. And I just ask a basic question. I'm just, and, and, I, and I'm saying this not to shame them because I, these people are out of this world amazing. The enemy is attacking that family. No question about it. But I said, did she go to youth? Did she go to legacy? Did she go to youth camps? Was she in college night? This is all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that those things will fix every problem. I'm saying you've got resources available to you. Well, I don't have no friends there, mom. Well, guess how you make friends? Not by staying home, by going. Now, you don't have to say, listen to one stupid thing I said, because that's what you're going to say if you don't like what I'm saying. It's all stupid. He don't get it. He don't understand. I know. I know. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. But I love you enough to say to you with that crying mom in mind to say, do, use every resource you can. I can remember, and I, this is, I'm going off script here. I can remember when our youngest daughter, and she's just doing so, she's so out of this world. I'm so, she actually, was she up there today or she was in Cincy? She did Cincy today? Anyway, she's doing announcements in Cincinnati. She's just incredible. She's just, both my kids are just incredible. And you're like, well, you know, why do you say that? I don't know. They just are just so cool. They're just such good kids, and I'm so grateful for them. But I can remember Lauren going through a, a kind of a faith crisis a little bit. And um, our interns were going on a missions trip. Well, she, Lauren was like a sophomore in high school. And so they can't go on a missions trip. A sophomore can't go on a missions trip with interns. And so I went with, got with Lauren. I said, hey, babe, I think you need to go to this missions trip. She's like, I can't go. I'm not old enough. I'm not an intern. I'd feel bad. I'd feel weird. And I'm like, I'm, don't, don't worry about any of those details. Don't worry about any of them. Do you want to go? She's like, yeah, that would be really, really fun. I'm like, then I'm the boss. <laughs> I'm changing the rules for you. And trust me, I, grew, I didn't grow up having people changing the rules for me, but I changed the rules for, for her. My point is, is I saw a resource and I just took advantage of it. Introducing them to spiritual moments, spiritual experiences. If you're married in here, and you start to even, you, you should have checkups. You should have counseling. You should go through marriage groups. You should be reading marriage books. You should go through some discipleship stuff around here. I think they actually have some parenting stuff going on on Tuesday nights coming up. Invest in the thing that you say is the dream in your life because no one else will want it more than you do. In the Greek Olympics, when they would write the torch, light the torch, excuse me, the goal wasn't to cross the line first. The goal was to see who's, who, if the torch could stay lit when they crossed the line. And this is the point. There's times when you'll look around and your life will feel like everyone's outrunning you. Everyone's outdoing you. You'll look at the thing that you had the dream for, the vision for. You're panting for it. You're fighting for it. You're doing everything you can for that thing. And there are times when it looks like it will never 
happen. I can remember when Sarah and I, and I've told this story in the church before, but Sarah and I uh, had met. We were kind of seeing each other a little bit here and there. And this is kind of, I guess, would be like one of our first dates. And we were at a mall walking around and, and, you know, I, I was trying to tell her, you know, that I'm a Christian and uh, we met in Bible college, but that I was, you know, I didn't believe in physical contact before marriage, right? So any type of like kissing or making out, that's not going to happen. If you're going to date me, that's not going to happen. I've got standards. So we get back into the truck and, and she slides over to be in the middle seat in the truck. You know what I'm talking about? And I go reach over to start the car and she leans over and she kisses me, starts making out with me. And then says to me, now that wasn't so bad, was it? (laughs) My standards dropped a little bit. Just saying, there's a lot that's her fault. There's a lot that's her fault. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody, anybody relate to that at all? You, you, you trying, but sometimes it just don't work that way. So I, um, man, you know, I can remember those early years, you know, the dreams that you have of a family and and how it begins and how it starts off. But there were times when we didn't think we were going to make it. Not, not because that sounds good for a sermon, not because, um, I'm trying to be relatable, but we were, we had so hurt each other that we saw no way to stay together. And in that, those times when everything looks the opposite, no one is going to care about it surviving as much as you do. But I'm just here to say that that is the way vision works. All vision, the way it works is it's birth, death, resurrection. You'll go through that cycle over and over and over. God will birth something in you. Then he'll, in some way, shape or form, you'll watch it die like Abraham, maybe you'll just have the knife. You have to maybe be willing to let it die. Or Joseph, and you're in prison. We could walk through all the people or even just have Jesus on the cross, right? He's just hanging and bleeding, and he's dying there, and it looks like the vision isn't going to happen. But in the kingdom, it's death, burial, and resurrection. So you hang on and you wait no matter what. And I'm closing with this, I promise. That in Judges chapter 5, there's this story of Israel 
being invaded. And there was a judge at the time, a woman by the name of Deborah, that God had supernaturally raised up to inspire the nation to fight for that which God was calling them to. And so Deborah stands up in front of the nation that's being invaded, and she gives her her speech, her wartime speech, and she says, our nation, our families, our dreams are being invaded. We have to act. So she sends word out to each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and she tells all the tribes and the leaders of those tribes, we've got to fight. There's no option here. There's no choice. We didn't, we didn't pick the fight. The fight picked us. Out of the 12, three showed up. The other nine had their excuses. They had their reasons. They had the things that they were given their attention to. But a few tribes showed up with Deborah and Barak, and they fought against the enemy, and they won that battle. And after the victory, they wrote a song about all the tribes that showed up to fight for the vision. And so if you are one of the tribes that showed up, you've got a line in this song where Deborah would talk about how you fought. But then they added into the song some verses about the tribes who didn't show up and who chose to not run with the vision. And these are some of the excuses they gave. In verse 17 of that chapter, the Bible says Dan remained in his ships. The tribe of Dan remained in the ships. They said they couldn't fight because they had other things they were busy doing. Verse 18, she continues to sing about Zebulon and Nephtali and says they have hazarded their lives, died on the battlefield. In essence, what Deborah was saying is while the tribe of Dan was sitting in their yachts, sipping their tea, talking to their country club buddies, saying, look at all our accomplishments. There was another tribe that was standing up and fighting for the very privileges those people were enjoying. And so Deborah begins to say to Dan that it was Zebulon that ran with the vision. It was Zebulon that guarded it. It was Zebulon that helped us make history. In Revelation chapter seven, you can read about every single tribe in Israel but there's one tribe that God chooses to not mention in Revelation chapter seven, and that's the tribe of Dan. You see Levi there, Judah is there, Ephraim's there. But Dan, when it comes to talk about how Dan is viewed in eternity, God said, I'm not even going to mention them. So we should be careful when God gives us a vision to remember why the vision has come, 
the blessings in our life, why God has given us the blessings in our life. And it is for kingdom advancement. It's fine to be blessed, but let's not get distracted from the vision and the fight that God has given us. Number three, it mentioned Reuben, who I'm just going to say what I think it said. Um, it's pretty much says that they were in committee meetings all the time. It's pretty much what Reuben was doing. I can't fight. We got to meet. We got to discuss it. We got to talk about it. We got to have a committee meeting about it. And so Deborah writes in her song, while y'all were in your little board meetings, we were on the battlefield. Verse 17, Asher was on a permanent vacation, found a really beautiful beach somewhere and was just enjoying it. Nothing wrong with the beach, but permanent might be a problem. Verse 15, it said that the princes of Issachar fought with Deborah. And then this is how the battle was won. And this is my favorite part. So they're in the midst of the battle and the king of the enemy, his name was Sisera, ends up being knocked off of one of his chariots. He's running for his life and he finds a nearby community and there is a tent that he sees and Sisera runs to this tent and when he gets the attention of the housewife on the inside, he begs her to hide him in the tent that if she does not help him, he's going to die. And so the housewife invites him into her house. She gives him a little food, gives him something to drink, puts him under a blanket, doesn't run outside and yell and scream and say, I've got the enemy in my tent. She goes to the garage and grabs a hammer and a tent peg. And Sisera is under the blanket, hiding, unsuspecting. And she guesses where his head's at. And she takes that hammer and that tent peg. She kills a brother. That's what she does. This is the point. God did not allow the general of the army to take care of the enemy. It wasn't a captain. It wasn't some spiritual giant. It wasn't some super preacher. It was a housewife that God used to destroy how the enemy was trying to destroy her home. And at some point we got to get to this place where we realize God doesn't need big time. He doesn't need some super spiritual, some all he needs is people to say, you know what? In my home, I'm not going to just allow the enemy to come into my home, into my family and not fight. I'm not going to look at the areas of vision that God has given me and back down and just act like it's not a big deal. God has given me a burden. He's given me a vision and it's my job to fight for it. Now I want to take just a minute here and pray as we close our service time that God would pour out vision on your life, on your family, 
specifically in the areas where the enemy has tried to steal the vision that God has for your home and for your life. There's something super powerful about getting that vision of victory in that area where you're struggling, where you're just going ahead and making a decision. I'm going to lock my faith around victory. I'm going to lock my faith around the vision happening. I'm going to lock my faith around. I'm not going to give up and quit just because it's painful in Jesus name. Amen. I don't know if God's writing a song about our lives, but I want him to write a line about us. Like, man, they hazarded their lives in the battle. (laughs) Come on. Isn't that beautiful? They hazarded their lives fighting for the vision and the dream. Father, in Jesus name, we come before you and you are the giver of vision. The language of heaven is dreams and vision. One of the things that you said about the last days that you would pour out your spirit and there was a promise of dreams and visions attached to it. There was a promise of prophecy and and being able to speak those things that are not as though they are. And Father, I know how your word says without the vision, we perish without the vision. We don't survive and make it. There are those who are here that the enemy has found a way to begin to get people to doubt the vision that God has given them. And so father, right now, I just pray that you restore, you renew a sense of vision in our hearts, a vision for what you're going to do, a vision for the difference your people are going to make father, no matter what things are looking like in the natural God, we look with eyes of the spirit. We hear with spiritual ears. We sense a spiritual, godly, heavenly burden. Lord, like Paul said, may we not be disobedient to the heavenly vision that you've given us everything that you've called us to do. May we seize every opportunity that we have to make a difference with the vision that you've given us in Jesus name and for Jesus sake, we all said, amen. Let's give the Lord a good hand clap together. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.